Generative AI is changing the content dubbing cost equation. Papercup's VP of Sales says it unlocks new business opportunities and you can hear the results yourself to see if you believe him. Listen on for more. This is End Screen Noise. My name is Colin Dixon, founder and chief analyst at End Screen Media, and today is September 14th, 2023. Generative AI has galvanized the content community, causing many debates about its merits and possible uses. However, relatively few applications of the technology are currently in use. One that is proving beneficial to content owners and providers is AI-generated dubbing tracks. It's a relatively expensive process to dub content in the traditional way, and that makes it pretty much cost-prohibitive to dub much of the library content. For example, there are 403 episodes of The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. The original English language versions of the show are enjoying a renaissance on many fast platforms. But dubbing the show into other languages was just too expensive using the traditional methods. In this interview with Garrett Goodman, who is VP of Sales at Papercup, he describes his company's solution how humans are essential to the process, how the company charges for the dubs, and some of the novel ways content providers are leveraging the technology to convince reluctant platform operators to carry their content. The interview also includes some real examples of the technology in action. So why don't you take a listen and see if you can tell that the voices are AI synthesized. But first... If you missed the first session of TVOT Connect last Thursday, don't worry because another is coming up on Thursday, September 21st at 11am. Now remember, I told you about TVOT Connect last week. It's a new membership community for television professionals from ITVT and Endscreen Media. The weekly online TV industry membership community aims to encourage conversation, debate, networking and collaboration across all sectors of the advanced TV space. In each weekly live virtual session, you will have an opportunity to briefly introduce yourself, hear a thought-provoking live interview or presentation from industry leaders and participate in a breakout room to share your thoughts on the day's interview and network with your peers. And I can tell you that worked beautifully last in last Thursday's session. Lots of lively conversation in that breakout session. And uh, I know I learn a lot and I know many of the people there did too and made connections that they otherwise wouldn't have. In the next session on Thursday, September 21st at 11 a.m. Pacific, Tracy Swedlow, founder of ITVT, and I will be joined by Diana Horowitz, who's CRO and co-head of operations for Driver Studios, and Jesse Redness, CEO and co-founder of Concept. To sign up for the free session and sample how TVOT Connect can help you, point your browser at itvt.com forward slash tvot forward slash connect that's itvt.com forward slash tvot forward slash connect and i'll include a link to the sign up page in the posting of this podcast on the end screen media website now on with the interview
This is Colin Dixon with Endscreen Media, and I'm at OTTX Summit in a very echoey room, uh, speaking with Garrett Goodman, who's VP of Sales at PaperCup. Garrett, welcome. Thank you, Colin. So uh, you have a fascinating solution, which we're going to talk about a lot in just a second. But one of the things I'm uh, one of the things I want to talk about first is we have you're in the space of translation. Mm-hmm. We've had a mechanism for doing translations with human beings for a long time. Sure. But that doesn't really work anymore. Why doesn't it work anymore? Well, I would say that it's going to continue to work for some. But the opportunity here is to use AI and AI dubbing to unlock content that traditionally would have been cost prohibitive to do a traditional dubbing. And... What doesn't work now is the economics are different, right? If you think about distribution on linear, when you were localizing in an entire channel, first of all, often it was the buyer, the broadcaster who would pay for that. That's not necessarily the case now when you're distributing to something like Fast, where often it's on the channel owner to foot the bill for localization. And we know that revenues on Fast are not equivalent to revenues on linear. And so you need a different cost structure. And so that's where something like AI dubbing can come in as the right solution because we can offer cost savings that allow channel owners to still see an ROI on localizing their channel for a new market. Can you give us some examples of the type of content we're talking about that really was cost prohibitive before, but with the solution that you have is now possible to to monetize? Sure. So like I said earlier, I think that there's always going to be a place for human dubbing and the more traditional route to localization for your tentpole titles, for your big Hollywood hits. One of the channels that we've worked on is Cineverse's Bob Ross channel, for example. Uh This is vault content from 40 years ago, right? This is something that to pay human dubbing rates for would have prevented them from breaking even in any kind of reasonable time frame. But when they use something like us for AI dubbing, the economics are very different. It's much more palatable, and they're able to jump in and do so quickly in order to get carriage on places like Roku and Vix and Tubi. And of course, there's... I think there's hundreds of hours of that Bob Ross stuff, right? There's 30 seasons of Bob <laughs> oh Ross that we goodness. dubbed, yeah. Oh my goodness. So... Now we know why the situation is cost prohibitive. Tell us about the paper cup solution and how that makes it tenable. Sure. So paper cup was born out of a research project at Cambridge University five years ago. And there was a breakthrough in speech synthesis. And the breakthrough was around bringing emotional depth to these synthetic voices. And we took that breakthrough and we combined it with other AI around transcription and translation to offer an end-to-end service for localization that dramatically reduces the cost structure. But what's crucial here is that we aren't just pure AI. We have a human in the loop, right? And this is, for our customers, mission critical because they need to know that There is a professional translator who is checking the accuracy of the translation and also finessing the delivery of the voices in order to have a really high quality output because they have standards that they can't go below. And ultimately, 
it's not just the channel owner who's making the decision to localize. They have to get these dubs greenlit by the platforms. And they have certain expectations too. And now our AI dubs are live on Pluto, Tubi, Vix, Roku, a number of these tier one platforms. And uh, it's taken a little while to build those relationships, but it helps a lot to have them be familiar with us and have almost that pre-approval for this content. So maybe now is a good time. Let's let's pause for a second. I'll insert some examples so that people can hear exactly how well these dubbings work. Hace más de 1500 años, los habitantes de esta zona crearon notables obras en la tierra en un área de más de 500 kilómetros cuadrados. Hoy se pueden observar unas figuras gigantes, como las de un colibrí, una araña y hasta un mono. ¿Sabías que odio a Mr. Blobby? Y todo estaba yendo tan bien. Hola, sabemos quién eres. Blobby. 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 Blobby, Blobby. Was für eine tolle Farbe der Beken jetzt hat. Dunkel und goldbraun. Der Rosmarin ist knusprig. Ein super wichtiges Element für den Geschmack von Carbonara ist eine ordentliche Prise schwarzer Pfeffer. Wenn der Beken goldbraun ist, fügen wir die Pilze hinzu. Okay, so now one of the things that really comes over to me in those... First of all, I really struggle. I don't think I can tell the difference. There really appears to be emotion, there appears to be pacing. How are you extracting that from the original recording or, or, or what have you and, and delivering that in the translated synthesized voice? So one of the things that sets us apart, this is part of our secret sauce, this is where we have our patents, is around bringing this emotional depth to these synthetic voices. It's around the expressivity. And one of the ways that we do that is with the data that we use to build these voice models. So the traditional way of building a text-to-speech model, which you see from some of the bigger players out there, is to scrape massive data sets where the quality of the data varies quite a lot. And they build these general-purpose speech models. So if you think about Amazon or Google or Meta, the way that they build their voices are to be general purpose, right? They're article readers or their phone assistants or their car assistants. And this is how we got Siri. This is how we got Alexa. Right. They're brilliant for five second utterances, but they're not fit for purpose for long form content that has any kind of emotional nuance. The way that we go about this differently is we work with voice actors. We hire them. We bring them into studios with top spec equipment. We give them specific scripts. We direct them on how to read them. And we capture very high fidelity data, which then we use to build these really robust voiced models. That gives us more flexibility in the output. Now, what is also crucial with our approach is, if anything, I would say that we're not just AI dubbing, we're hybrid dubbing because we have this human in the loop. So it's almost the best of both worlds. It's the, the speed and scale of AI plus the finessing of 
the human, right, to get the output really high quality. When our translators are working on a piece of video and doing a dubbing project, they're actually going in within our system. We built these control mechanisms for them to go in and, and adjust the delivery, right? So they can say, this particular bit, we need to elongate a little bit that pause. This needs to sound more like a question. We need to dial up the intensity of the emotion here. And every single little input that they're doing is also training our models to be better at predicting how it should be performed the next time around. Yep, yep. Uh, and sorry for the background noise here. It seems to be impossible to find somewhere quiet to do these. So let's talk about the business solution. How, how do I pay for it? How does this work for me as a, as a content provider? So we charge on a per minute basis. We're here to streamline, simplify the process of dubbing, uh, and that comes through in our business model as well. So it's a per minute cost. Cost goes down with volume. Uh, we keep the same cost regardless of the language that we're going into, which is not generally that the case, is not with, generally the case. <laughs> with traditional dubbing. Uh, so that becomes very attractive for our partners as well. And how many languages can you do? So we go from English as our anchor language into about 10 languages right now. Mm -hmm. uh, our most mature languages are LATAM or neutral Spanish, Brazilian Portuguese and German. Okay. So not Telugu yet. Not, not yet. No, we're following the the languages that have the most commercial viability right now. Yeah. Give us a couple of examples of projects that you worked on. Sure. So I mentioned earlier Bob Ross with Cineverse. That was an entire fast channel, 150 hours. We're working on a channel right now with Fuse uh, called Backstage. And that one, they haven't announced the platform that's going to take them first, but it's a tier one platform. We're very excited to be on that. Uh, and we actually do quite a lot of work on the social side as well. So we are helping companies like Bloomberg, for example, broaden their social footprint. We actually run the YouTube channel Bloomberg and Espanol on their behalf. So we're dubbing about 12 videos a day and we're doing all of the channel management for them too. Very good. So um, talk to us a little bit about how channel and content owners are experimenting with the platform because they're not just using it to, to just do, you know, they've got a project, they've got a distribution, already distribution set up and they want to they get us faked up. They're actually experimenting. What are they doing? So what we're seeing is, to zoom out for a bit, we know that the fast landscape in the U.S. is quite saturated, right? There's an estimated 1,800 channels right now in the U.S., there are four plus services that have over 400 channels. So discovery is a big challenge and competition is fierce for those eyeballs for these channel owners, right? Which is not yet the case in these adjacent markets. So we have channel owners who have channels that are performing well in English and they're looking to get in early, get that prime real estate in these other markets like LATAM, for example, or speaking to underserved markets like U.S. Hispanics. And one of the ways that we're seeing them get that foot in the door is we've done things like with Fuse. Uh, we did a two-hour showreel, which we dubbed into Spanish. We took a cross-selection of various titles that they already had, uh, and they were able to use that as sales collateral and bring that to the platforms and then secure a carriage deal off the back of it. 
Um, one of the other interesting kind of experiments that we've been seeing is using social, using YouTube as a sort of tip of the spear. So the difference between going to a new language market on YouTube versus fast is there's no gatekeepers on YouTube, right? You can spin up a new channel whenever you want, or better yet, with this new feature from YouTube that launched about three, four months ago called multi-language audio, you can even add new audio tracks to your main channel. So you don't have to go through the slog of spinning up a new channel from scratch. You can just leverage all the audience uh, attention that you already have and start to experiment with new languages. Now, what we're seeing the smarter channel owners do is add multi-language audio to their main channel on social, on YouTube, and then get that instant data back to see what's resonating, both from a content selection standpoint and more broadly, which languages, which markets are eating up this content. And then armed with that data, they're able to go to the platforms and say, look, there's already an audience that is eating up this content in your market, you absolutely should take a channel, and it fast-tracks the whole conversation. Wow. Yeah, and that has emerged as really being a critical part of the equation here. I can't tell you the number of times at OTTX I've heard people say, get data, go armed with the data to prove to the distribution outlet that you're trying to get on that you've got an audience. So that sounds like a really good investment. Well, um, that sounds like a great solution. Sounds like you've got some great announcements coming up. Maybe you can come back and talk to us a bit again when you, when you make some of those announcements. We'd be very happy to. Thanks, Colin. Yeah, thanks for spending time with us and telling us about PaperCup. Thanks very much. This podcast is the property of Endscreen Media. All rights reserved.